0: You're listening to Geek Hard. I'm Natalie Brown. And if you're going to geek, geek hard.
1: Welcome to Geek Hard with your hosts, Andrew Young and Mr. Green, right here on Reality Radio 101. And now right to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green.
2: Making Good Friday great since 2010, this is Geekard. I'm your host, Andrew Young. With me, as always, is our resident one-eyed Willie, Mr. Green.
3: Yes, I am one-eyed Willie, 100%. There
2: you go. You got to tell us where the treasure is, man.
3: <laughs> it's in my pants.
2: Oh, that's really... That That would be a very different movie. <laughs> Especially the part where, uh, that one was like, thank you, Master Worley. yeah, Thank you. <laughs> oh, we got a great show for you tonight on Good Friday here. Uh, later on the program, you're going to get to hear my interview with Kira Elise Gardner, the director of the documentary Living with Chucky. Um, which is, of course, all about the Chucky franchise. Also, since, uh, you know, we're children of the 80s. We have nostalgia with us. You know, when it comes to certain properties, when they come about, and it involves people jumping high and stuff, we think, oh, yeah, no, definitely, we're totally going to do this because it is part of our childhood. So tonight, that's why we are reviewing Supna no, Air, we're reviewing air, which is also part of our childhoods and involves somebody jumping very high as well. Yes, just
3: just not over a building in a single bound, although pretty close.
2: Or, you know, also not, you know, bounding up to hit like a brick and get a sunflower or a mushroom. Some people saw that today. We we saw air. So there we go.
3: I think, as you'll see later, you'll understand why.
2: You'll understand why, definitely. Also, in just a few minutes, you're going to get to hear my interview with... Actor Natalie Brown. Uh, Natalie, of course, has been on the show before, but uh, now she's on because uh, she is nominated for the Canadian Screen Awards for Best Guest Appearance in a dramatic series. Uh, she made an appearance on Hudson and Rex. I got to talk with her last month about it. And, of course, the Canadian Screen Awards are next week, so we're really hoping that she wins. Uh, you'll get to hear that. All of this and more is coming your way. But right now, we're going to take a commercial break. And when we come back, you'll hear my interview with Natalie Brown. It's all happening right here. Geek Card Reality Radio 101. Hey, everybody. Jimmy the short order cook here. Asking you what's better than listening to Geek Card? Answer listen to Geek Card while wearing a Geek Card t shirt. And there's a place you can get them at slash user slash geek card. We got a bunch of great shirts there. We got Geek Card shirts, we got a Mr. Green's Tasty Meat shirt, and we got a Back Issue Bloodbath shirt. For all your geek needs with your geek merch, You want to go to tpublic.com slash user slash geekart. I'm not just asking you. I'm telling you.
1: Welcome back to Geek Card right here on Reality Radio 101. And now back to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green.
2: Welcome back to Geek Card, friends, on a Friday night. Andrew Young and Mr. Green here. In a moment, you're going to hear my interview with actor Natalie Brown, but before we play that. Just want to remind you folks that if you like what you're hearing and you want more Geek Card in your life, if you want to become a Geek Cardigan, well, there's a place you can go on the interwebs patreon.com slash Geek Card. Sign up there, become a Geek Cardigan. You'll be helping us out, but you'll also be getting access to cool exclusive content like early access to podcasts, the pilot for the January Men podcast, which. Uh, is a uh, experimental uh, work in progress with geekard where uh, a grouping of curmudgeonly old men get together and talk about a film that uh, two of them might not even remember and two of them feel very strongly about uh, also uh, the entire back catalog of mr green's extra hard podcast is available there as well get to hear him talk about a bunch of different great movies tv shows actors directors all with a special guest every week and they have a lot of fun. So you can get all of that and more for just a small fee at patreon.com slash geekard. Sign up today. You'll like it. Trust me. I don't know. You don't know?
3: I don't know. If I, I don't know if I trust you. That's what I'm saying. The other okay, thing, well then. 100%. You, okay,
2: say, say the thing that I just said, and then maybe they'll trust you.
3: Come on over and join us at patreon.com slash of course. But I'm just saying, come on over and join us. See, that's much more trustworthy than what you were saying.
2: This is exactly what I said. Uh,
3: see, it just it didn't kind of wasn't as sincere. So there you had
2: you have two endorsements. <laughs> Yuri, Yuri, where can they go, Yuri?
1: At GeekCard.com.
2: No, there's that's not even a website, but patreon.com. Oh, you're asking me that.
1: I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah,
2: That's okay.
3: A for effort, Gary. Yeah,
2: you, you, did, you did your best. You did sorry, your best. sorry. That's, <laughs> that's okay, man. That's all right. That's all right. I threw you, I threw you out there. I didn't mean to. Oh, But uh, now let's get into our first interview of the evening. I got to speak with actor Natalie Brown uh, at the beginning of March. She had just found out that she was nominated for the canadian screen awards for best uh guest performance in a dramatic series and uh we had a lot of fun talking about it about her time shooting hudson and rex and more let's take a listen to that interview right now welcome back to the program natalie brown natalie how are you
0: thank you for having me
2: back i'm great how are you well i'm doing pretty good doing pretty good it's been probably about a year since we talked
0: I'm I'm trying to remember if I was yeah I was trying to think if I was in Newfoundland when I was talking to you but if it was a year ago no you were at home I believe same old nothing's changed
2: <laughs> but yeah no the last time I spoke to you was about a year ago we were talking about Ash Grove and uh, we will probably revisit that because I remember back when we talked you were like I have a lot more to say about this but we can't because oh, it had not been ever. released to the people yet
0: yeah well now that the movie's out now that uh, it's out
2: we can totally talk about
0: it yeah. But also there's a making of coming out. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I didn't know that. No. There is a documentary on the making of Ash Grove and from what I understand, they had this, you know, crazy idea to come up with this like very unorthodox way of making a movie and they thought in case it totally sucks, let's just a have a good time doing it, but b let's make it a making of in case the actual movie itself isn't what we hope it to be. And then the movie turned out to be more than anyone could have hoped for. And the documentary is mm-hmm. coming out, I think sometime next year.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, I did not expect mm. that. That's cool. Oh, that, that's God. that's a two for one there. A really great right? movie and a documentary on top of it. Fantastic.
0: I think when you know more about how the movie was made, it warrants a rewatch or a three. Because even when you watch the the whole movie without even knowing how it was shot, you're like, wait a second. So much of that was not what we thought. Yeah. And did I tell you
2: how it was shot? Yes, you did tell me how it was
0: shot. okay. Um, Because,
2: yeah, because, of course, like, again, people who might have heard the interview last time, we talked about the film Ashgrove came out at the end of last year. There's a world water crisis. There's one person who has the answers. And over a specific weekend with her husband, it's almost like they have to save their marriage to save the world. No big deal no big deal and then of course at the end of it you realize why because her character doesn't know that the other characters are reenacting the events that happened previously and because you told me something yeah due to memory loss and You specifically told me there was a very interesting approach to get a great performance out of Amanda Bruegel, which, of course, you get a great performance anyways out of Amanda Bruegel. Anyway, exactly,
0: guaranteed. But we all had secrets from each other, but the biggest secret was held from the star and co-creator of the film, which was a feat in and of itself. And when she finds out on screen, like the actress finds out when the character finds out, so you're kind of in this like rare opportunity to see things unravel in real time. Yeah. And I I remember
2: when I was talking to you that you mentioned that it made the time away from set, the evenings, very, very tense because you were like still had to have your actor hat on and go, what can I make sure I don't mention to
0: Amanda? To try to decompress and have a debrief and then not really say anything and just talk about our feelings, but just not really be able to say much. Yeah, it was totally worth it, though. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Film turned out great. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's always fun to see these little experiments turn into magic on the screen. Definitely. Yeah. And even to have
0: shot in chronological order is also really rare. Yeah, it's rare. and Because of the nature of the storyline, it had to happen sequentially. Otherwise, you would have tipped off the actors of The Secrets.
2: Yeah, exactly. Which I guess, you know what? Having to keep all those secrets and everything, it's nice to have the flip side of like, well, we get to shoot this in order, so I get to actually be my character in the proper order there. Which, as you mentioned, doesn't
0: usually happen. So exactly, and I don't know if I mentioned there was no script. There was no script. Oh, okay. So you guys were just given a outline to get, work with. I don't get. I hope I get into trouble because that's what nobody wants to go into a movie knowing like it was like an improvised film because there was such a specific. Structure and storyline, and they spent like over a year crafting like very specific backstories for all the characters. So each day we showed up, we knew exactly what scene we were going to shoot and where we needed to go with that scene. And there Mm -hmm. were two ways of shooting there was one way, and then there was like another way for Amanda's perspective to not give too much away. So lots of signals and all the secrets that were kept under Jeremy's hat. But it's mind boggling because it doesn't in any way. I mean, obviously good acting always seems like it's improvisational, but in no way does this film seem like that. So it sort of blows people's minds after they've seen it. And we tell them that there was no script.
2: Yeah. Well, now it makes even more sense. Because like, again, as you mentioned, Amanda Bruegel was the star and she was the co-creator of the character within the film and was helping put this together. If there was a script, I think she would have been tipped off by the back pages. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, wait a second. I'm not signing up for this. What? So yeah, very unconventional approach to filmmaking. The movie turned out just brilliantly and it's been so well received both like from critics and fans and film festivals around the world. So it's far surpassed I think anyone's wildest expectations. The New York times just wrote it up as saying top five science fiction films to watch right now.
2: Wow. That's amazing. That's great. Well, yeah, it's (laughs) definitely, I think it's a film that more and more people are going to find it over time and are definitely going to enjoy it. Totally. Uh, But of course, One of the main reasons why I wanted to talk to you today is because the Canadian Screen Award nominations came out just a little while ago. And you are nominated for guest performance in a drama series for Hudson and Rex. The episode Rex marks the spot from season four where a journalist is killed and the island, of course, they're looking for, you know, who the killer might be. But it's within the spot of like all this treasure hunting and your character plays a treasure hunter who's also the ex-wife of Hudson, which treasure hunter ex-wife, that is a fun role to play, I would think.
0: I prefer the novelist and archaeologist as well.
2: Yes, yes, novelist <laughs> archaeologist. Treasure
0: hunter. yeah. Multi-hyphenate, yeah. What was interesting, though, is that's all based on a true story. There's, like, forever been um, the suspicion and legend that there is treasure buried along the East Coast. Oh, what's the show that uh, the the Curse of Oak Island is based on? And that's like twelve seasons in, where a lot of people from everywhere are still excavating and digging for where buried treasure is. Peter Easton was a well known pirate who I believe was initially hired by the British Navy to come and like fight the pirates, but then joined sides with some of the pirates, took out the navy, went rogue. And then was shipwrecked, so somewhere all of the riches from the various pirate ships are somewhere along the eastern seaboard of Canada. So mm-hmm. a lot of it was a lot of the story was seeped in actual history, which was really cool. Yeah, that is cool.
2: And uh, Julia is a cool character. Like, that's just, as I mentioned, yeah, novelist archaeologist, but also the fact, like, you know, she's kind of like Tomb Raider, you know? She's kind of like Indiana oh. Jones, you know?
0: Yeah, I just needed a little help along the way. So fortunately for me, I bump into my ex-husband who has trusty Rex by his side, who helps speed things along, solving murder most importantly, and possibly finding treasure.
2: Yeah, yeah, the murder, whatever, but finding the treasure, of course. That's fantastic. What was your experience like shooting the episode? An embarrassment of riches.
0: Like truly, we were in the midst of our third lockdown in Ontario. And Newfoundland, because they had a quite serious bubble. You couldn't enter the Maritimes without a two-week quarantine. Mm. And so uh, the government there allowed us to coron work. We were allowed, after obviously getting fully tested, we were allowed to go only to set and not leave the premises from where we were staying. So in my particular circumstance, the episode which I guess you've seen, all of my scenes were on various bays of Newfoundland, when the whales had just come across the Atlantic from Portugal looking for like these magical little Capelins sort of sardines. And so we were whale watching from all the bays where our scenes were. And then uh, someone who plays my love interest on the show happens to have a yacht. So yeah. even though I was, you know, sort of stuck corn working every time, you know, it came time to go to set was just like this, beautiful part of the landscape of Newfoundland or on various boats. And then when I did have to go back to where the actors were staying, I was so lucky because also in the episode is Ali Hassan. Yeah. The great comedian and chef Mm -hmm. and uh, the landlords, since we weren't allowed to go and get groceries or anything, they went and got a $5 net from Walmart, went into the bay, one of the various bays and scooped out like 200 of these Capelin sardines. Oh, wow. That are just washing up on the shore for free. That not to take too many from the humpbacks, and then Ali Hassan was, you know, one night we'll fry them, another night we'll barbecue them, another night we'll grill them, and we just had this fantastic time together, both, you know, at the place we had to stay, and then also on the sets with the great cast and crew from Hudson and Rex.
2: Wow, that no, that does sound like a lot of fun there. Yeah, corn mm-hmm. work sounds more like corn fun, definitely. Corn
0: fun. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, so now, now that I think about it, there was probably there was like only one scene that you would have had to have been on a set for, for the most part. Yeah,
0: both at the cop station, the St. John's police station. Right. Oh, wait, so No, then two, because there's also the scene in the bar. And then there's the scene in the bar, which I yeah. think is not an actual bar. I think oh, yeah? That was in an actual bar, and then just the police station is an actual set, and everywhere else. I felt so lucky because some actors would come to corn work, and their scenes were in the police station, mm. and they were staying a block away from the ocean and couldn't see it. I felt really lucky and really spoiled. And I don't know if you've had, you've talked to people from the show, but Diesel, the dog who plays Rex. Yeah. Is just such a sweetheart and a superstar and is is the sweetest dog where if they ever need him to growl for a scene, they bring in like a stunt dog to growl because he's just <laughs> the sweetest. And and his handler Sherry too is like an incredible animal wrangler. She's fantastic. She, having to shoot with a dog is is a unique experience though because uh, they'll try to get everything with diesel in the wide. So it's a lot of sort of like, you know, commands at the dog. During your dialogue. So, you need to sort of be ready to kind of keep acting while people are sort of yeah, yeah. Yeah, hands in your ear. But then it's all treats and it's all great. And then we go into close up and, and well, there it's you go.
2: Yeah, I guess that would be kind of uh, nerve wracking to uh, basically be like, okay, people are going to yell stuff. I can't sell it at all. There's nothing over there. <laughs> Wait for close ups, everyone. Looking at your fellow nominees, you know, it's a it's a great bunch. Like,
0: oh my gosh,
2: up there against the great Elfrey Woodard there. But
0: uh, it feels a bit ridiculous. You then, know, then also... like I'm, like, I'm not going to back door and I'm just waiting for someone to kick me out. But, uh, <laughs> but also, how cool is that? I mean, Humphrey Woodard is just one of the most incredible actresses who also came here to help make the Porter happen as executive producer, which is yeah. such a fantastic show and, you know, leading with the most nominations, deservedly so, but also really happy to see everyone from Hudson and Rex nominated. Oh, yeah. So it feels great to have, you know, what feels like family or at least being there for only one episode, they do feel like family. Like I know Kevin from before, I know Mako, and obviously I know Johnny and Justin. So it's it's really fun to, for so many people, so many of your peers to be nominated.
2: Yeah, and then you got Jonathan Torrance here hogging up the awards. He's in guest stars in uh, drama and comedy.
0: Oh yeah, just taking over <laughs> all of the categories. <laughs> Alan Hawko, too. It's kind of funny, you know, to be nominated with him when he was the first person to hire me in Newfoundland when he had his show, Republic yeah. of Montreal. So many great nominees. It's um, just happy to be there.
2: Of course, another series that uh, you popped up on as a guest star this year was the uh, first episode of Alert Missing Persons Unit, mm-hmm. uh, shot in Montreal. Yeah, I, to me, it's funny because it's like I'm watching and it's like, yeah, yeah, you're saying it's Philly, but that's... To the trained eye, that's Montreal.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it doubles pretty well, but yeah, to the trained eye, just like Toronto doubles as so many cities until you see a Burrito Boys in the background. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Toronto.
2: Exactly. What was your experience on uh, on that episode?
0: Uh, it was really exciting because it was the inaugural episode and directed by the wonderful Michael Offer. Knowing Jamie Foxx was an executive producer and knowing that something sort of similar had happened where his daughter had gone missing, not in any kind of as much of a serious way, Mm -hmm. but it's what inspired the storyline. And then the cast, I mean, they have such a great cast and being there for that first episode, you know, you just have that like really kind of great, like new and excited energy and everyone's bringing everything that they have. And I got to play opposite noam jenkins we played husband and wife before a few times mm. the subject matter was so heavy but as soon as we all cut you know then it was we're in montreal you know yeah yeah so I had some great meals and some great chats and a really good time on set and but the subject matter was difficult like it wasn't fun to sort of be in that space
2: no no it's not like hey we're having a ball it's about missing kids yeah that's that's
0: not usually the mentality yeah
2: no but again
0: (laughs) as soon as as soon as the cameras were off everyone was just so warm and loving you know i think every everyone is doing something right because the show is doing really well alert that is and uh hopefully comes back for another season because they're doing such a great job uh, yeah, you mentioned Jamie Foxx, executive producer.
2: One thing that the last time I said that we didn't get to talk about it all was a, uh, a film that uh, came out last year that was executive produced by another famous name,
0: Slash, and that yeah. is the, the Breach. Yeah. I guess if I... Okay, let me get this right. Rodrigo Gudino, our wonderful director, um, who also co-wrote or adapted the script, he's good friends with Slash. They're both fans of the horror genre. Rodrigo, actually, uh, his baby is the horror magazine, Rue Morgue. Oh, of course. And so I think, you know, fans of the magazine all over the world uh, are fans of Rodrigo. And so Slash was a good friend. And I thought maybe he would come in with a song. But I think he did quite a bit of the score and then an executive producer. Mm. And I had just missed him. He came for the first screening in Toronto. Uh. And I was not that busy. But it was the exact same day, same time as the casting crew screening for Nightmare Alley, which I had one very small scene in with Kate yes. Blanchett. And uh and, and he and also Rodrigo's friends with Guillermo. <laughs> like <laughs> good directors living in Toronto from Mexico that know each other could maybe have their film screen on separate nights.
2: Yeah, you'd think so. You'd think they'd want to go to each other's stuff.
0: Yeah. I, I'm sure they would, but uh, so as soon as I I I ran over to the screening of the breach, and they were like, "You just missed the movie, and you just missed Slash," oh, and but you did a great job. And then it took until the Fantasia Festival, uh, which was the world premiere of the breach, where I made it a point to go, and uh, Slash was sent to come and introduce the movie with Rodrigo and the producers, and then he caught COVID, so oh. he. Yeah, I mean a very mild case, but uh yeah, he was on Zoom on the big screen which saved me from having to talk about my character's backstory which also was really sad. Again, yeah. like a missing child, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. A missing
0: daughter, a missing husband, so it was not the most enjoyable sort of place to kind of stay for some of those scenes and someone asked me a question about that and then suddenly slash zoomed in saved the day. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I got a chance to meet Slash back in 2014 when uh, oh, wow. he he had released his uh, the film he produced, Nothing Left to Fear. That was his okay. first foray into horror. Oh,
0: really wow. nice guy.
2: Super yeah, awesome.
0: super sweet, soft spoken, Yeah, very very mild mannered. Yeah, yeah. Not you wouldn't so think less. that for a rock star. Better yeah, better on stage. Yeah. Oh, so man, one day man. I hope to meet him. I'm glad you got to.
2: Well, I hope I hope you get to meet him. It was, it was a great experience. Now, uh, a film that uh, you also shot that's in post-production right now, A Dangerous
0: Romance. Can you tell me anything about that? Well, I'll just say the title speaks for itself. There's a fair bit of danger and a whole lot of romance. There we and the go. romance itself is what is dangerous. Yeah, I shot that in Hamilton last uh, summer. And again, like a terrific cast and great director and um I, i've been wondering actually when it's going to be released i'm wondering if you might know more than i do
2: i have not heard anything yet <laughs> i've just seen that it's like oh okay that seems like an interesting Still editing
0: all the danger and all the romance <laughs> yeah uh, great Powell starred in that with me and aaron Agostino, jamie i know his instagram handle spilly graham i spell check jamie spillcheck first time working with an intimacy coordinator, the wonder wonderful Lindsay Summers. Okay. That was a great experience. Cause again, the title sort of lets you in on the fact that there's going to be some romantic scenes filmed.
2: Yeah. Romantic and, thriller. You definitely danger. Romance. The romance is part of it. Totally. Yeah.
0: But yeah, no, working with an intimacy coordinator was just one of the most liberating experiences. It was really kind of treating those scenes like a stunt with the same like level of professionalism and minus, you know, Minus any scrapes and bruises. Yeah, Um, yeah. You want to keep.
2: You want to make sure everybody's safe and comfortable.
0: Definitely. Yeah, you know what's happening instead of sort of jumping off into the deep end. Not really sure what's gonna. You know, you kind of know each other's boundaries. You know, respect those, and then there is still room for spontaneity. Unlike what some people are saying, you know, like, oh, does it sort of kill spontaneity of the scene? But not at all. It gives you like a great amount of freedom within certain parameters. I'm like a stunt, which needs to be choreographed within an inch of its life to stay safe. Whereas uh, working on a love scene, you're given very specific parameters, but then there's freedom within that. And uh, it was a really great experience. And so I'm hoping that going forward, most experiences with that subject matter will be with someone as great with guidance as Lindsay.
2: Another thing I saw that you shot that hasn't been released yet is a short with quite the great comedic cast, Baby Daddy. Can you tell me anything about what that experience was like?
0: I hope I can. I'm so excited. This was the first time I ever had the audacity to put words to a page. My very good friend, Lisa Barry, who is an incredible actress, we first met on the Hallmark movie, Be My Valentine many years ago with mm. Billy Baldwin. We've been friends ever since, and she's full of great ideas. And she came to me with an idea and uh, we started on page one together and we wrote a couple of scenes and we both worked with the same great first AD and uh, Kevin Ede. I worked with him on the breach and he was just such a great personality, just a great run of the floor and like really funny, really smart, great at his job. Lisa was then working with him. She mentioned this idea that we had baby daddy. It's a male fertility comedy. Mm where the tables are flipped. And uh, Kevin has a production company, Heist Productions. And he said, let's shoot it. I'm like, oh, shoot what? And Lisa, who just had a baby, was like, uh, let's just figure out an ending. Let's make it into a short and let's just shoot it. The end. <laughs> and uh, Heist Productions also has like, uh, you know, they've got equipment, they've got a wonderful DP and a wonderful writer and producer on staff, Jason Spear. So never having written anything before, Jason, who's won you know, writing contests, and he won the Just for Laughs Pitch stand-up and pitch competition. He had a lot of uh, guidance in terms of, you know, how to format things and, you know, helped us flesh out the characters. And so we shot a proof of concept, and we're about to shop it around. Oh, all righty. That sounds mm-hmm. good. Well, I hope...
2: I hope I get to hear more things in the future. I hope big things happen with that. That sounds like a lot of pretty
0: fun. Pretty exciting, just to kind of like, you know, sort of step behind the camera and, uh, you know, help help make stuff. People just yeah. say, make your own stuff, and that's what we're doing. So it's pretty exciting.
2: Well, Natalie, I look forward to all of that. Again, congratulations on the nomination. Thank you so
0: much. I'm still literally pinching myself. Um, I hope to talk to you next time soon. Need, need, need more fodder.
2: That was my interview with Natalie Brown. Uh, the Canadian screen awards are happening next week. Canadian screen week is April 11th to 16th with the big award show happening on the 16th. So uh, we're rooting for you, Natalie. Uh, we got some emails in. Uh, if you want to send us an email, email, send it to us at geekartshow at gmail.com. Uh, this one right here from Steve L. Hey, an update on green's eye from last week. I haven't seen air yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Happy Easter to you guys. Well, happy Easter to you, Steve. Green, you got anything to say about your eye? You're on mute.
3: Yep, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's indicative of what's happening. Uh, I, I forget to look at things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, uh, thanks for asking. Um, the eye is still continuing to progress forward, not backwards, which is the key factor. Um, but, uh, no like super major improvement. Just, uh, just got to keep doing the stuff. I got my next appointment on, uh, Tuesday. Yeah. There you go.
2: So your, your eye is, uh, your eye is like Luke cage. Always forward going forward. Always forward, man. There you go. Uh, we got another email from Linda a who says, Hey, to the geeks again, air was good. Affleck did a good job, a six bucks rating. Thanks. Well, thank you, Linda. Uh we're gonna take a commercial break. When we come back, we'll be giving our review of air. And if you want to get in your review, of course email us at show at gmail.com. This is Geekard on Reality Radio 101. I... Remember when you used to go to the comic shop and browse through the stacks picking up comic after comic talking to your fellow customers and the store owner about what books you should buy what kind of outside people daywalker nonsense are you talking about i don't go outside well thank goodness for back issue bloodbath with andrew young
0: and patula neal
2: when we talk about comics old and new mostly old but sometimes new every wednesday new episodes drop at com. Or wherever you catch your pots, check it out. And have yourself a good
1: Yeah, I gotta keep dreaming. Welcome back to Key Card right here on Reality out Radio one oh one. And now, back to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green.
2: Welcome back to Geek card Andrew Young and Mr. Green here on a Friday night. Good Friday night. And we're going to get into our review of na 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 nah, air Directed by Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> Written by Alex Connerby. Very, sorry, produced by Amazon Studios, Mandalay Pictures, and Skydance Media, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Here to read the synopsis for this week's film is Air. Is Air, eh? Is the old man. A lot of people don't know this, but my, uh, one of my given names is Air, so there you go. Really? Yeah. Probably back in the 10th century.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah. That was still a new thing back then.
2: Yeah, no, I was. They were like, hey, here. I was like, that's me. Yo. How you doing?
3: Lots of yo's in the 10th century, was there?
2: I actually coined a phrase. Oh, okay. I was like, I want to find a way to say salutations in a like a quick, fast matter. And I was like, yo. And then I added into hey, yo. And that became a whole thing. It's amazing. Uh, so, Air follows the history of shoe salesman Sonny Vaccaro and how he led Nike in its pursuits of the greatest athlete in the history of basketball, Michael Jordan. Wow. No, yeah, that was – I remember that. I remember all those kids with those shoes. Remember those shoes? I know those shoes are still around, but like
3: – The Air Jordans?
2: Yeah, the Air Jordan, those shoes. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's-
3: very popular, hence the, yeah. this movie.
2: Yeah. I used to always get the shoe Air Jordan mixed up with the River Jordan.
3: Yeah, not even remotely, the same thing.
2: No, one's a river. Yeah. Yeah, there's a shoe.
3: That's right. You can was, step into both, though.
2: Yeah, it was really hard running in the river, I'll tell you that much. Oh, my God. Well, anyways, I'm going to get going. You guys, uh, oh, by the way, a uh, a green greener... Yep. Glad to have you back. Uh, oh, thanks, bud. Uh, you know, I I actually, between 1590 and 1640, I didn't have use of one of my eyes. So it, All was, right. it was a tough time.
3: I, yeah, yeah, no, it for sure is.
2: But, you know, but, I powered through.
3: Yeah, I'm hoping to uh, perform miracles like you did as well. So, you know, fingers don't, crossed.
2: Come on now, you know, like I spent some time with the carpenter back in the day. Oh yeah, this is the day they killed him, right? I forgot about that. But anyways, I'm gonna go call a friend of mine and talk about it. You remember the day they killed him? He won't pick up though, because he wasn't—he's not alive anymore. And there he goes, the old man. Oh, my God! So let's talk about Air, Mister Green. You watched Air? What do it you did. think of Air?
3: Um. It. it I- I was interested to see how they're going to pull this off because let's face facts a couple of white dudes telling the story of uh Michael Jordan and his impact but it's it is obviously more about the chase of Jordan not actually Jordan's life history right mm-hmm. which is <clears throat> um which is good cuz uh, I actually watched an interview with uh, Affleck talking about it, and he was like, uh, nobody's ever going to do a Jordan biopic. Not for, like, a long time. Yeah, because... it's just
2: too much. And Jordan would have be like, hey, what are you doing?
3: <laughs> yeah. It, it, so, actually, interesting story about this film. Affleck went to Jordan personally yeah. to get his uh, approval. Because he was like, he went in, he got an hour with him, and he was like, hey, this is what we're thinking about doing. Want to get, you know your feedback on this. And if you say no, then we don't do this movie. And Jordan was cool with it. And uh, he added in uh, three things to the film that weren't in the original script that they added in. Subsequently, one was uh, George Raveling played by uh, Marlon Wayland's in this Mm -hmm. and uh, um, Chris Tucker's character. um,
2: Chris Tucker's uh, character, Howard White.
3: That's it. So I couldn't remember his name for a second. I, but yeah, th- those two characters were pivotal in uh Jordan going to Nike. Mm. And uh so he was like suggested that. And then the third change was making uh his mom Dolores more of a central character in the story. And uh but otherwise he had no real complaints about it. But I was like, oh, okay. The other kind of cool thing about this uh is it's kind of nice actually. It's a fun feel hard, a feel good story. So you obviously everybody remembers that Affleck and, and uh uh Damon did Good Will Hunting back in the day. Yeah. And they they wrote and directed it, right? So when they came in on this Well, they didn't what...
2: direct it. But sorry, yeah.
3: yeah, sorry, you're right. Sorry, you're right. Sorry, Gus Van Sant. By by Gus Van Sant. That was back when yes. Gus
2: Van Sant made movies.
3: Yes. And not yes.
2: the weird things he ended up making, yeah. Yeah,
3: well, you know, everybody's got a thing. Uh so anyways, when they so they came they, when they had that opportunity back in the day, Uh, to write that and everything like that they had gotten some other chances along the way to you know to work on things and uh so uh Convery who who wrote this um when they came in they took a pass at the script they rewrote it uh large portions of it um the all the stuff with Chris Tucker essentially according to Convery was uh uh improvised on the day that he was there there wasn't any because there was no script, right? Mm. Uh, and uh, the stuff with Viola Davis, a lot of that she she improved on the day. However, I tell the story because at the end of the shooting, and Convery's like, "Well, I'm a nobody, right? Like, who am I in all of this, right?" Yeah, Affleck came to him and said, "We're not going to arbitrate this. You're getting sole credit for the for the writing because that's what happened to us, and we need to pay it forward, like him and Matt." agree to this right Right. I just think it's a really cool story it's just something about this now what does that have to do with this movie it kind of it's the movie itself I feel like there's a lot of things in here about people getting chances and paying it forward just being good people although I will admit that the uh, relationship between Sonny Vaccaro and David Falk in this um, not on the nicest of terms most of the time but Mm. that's okay Agents are agents.
2: Well that's the thing. You got Chris Messina playing him, and that's that's well, that's that's cat that right there. It's casting. Like, it's yeah, like, it's like, <laughs> like we need somebody to play a big mouth jerk. Get Chris Messina. But, there. But we still go. you
3: kinda like.
2: Yeah, with a likability. totally. Yeah. We got an email in from John T who says Geeks, Fave listener here. I think Air was kind of boring actually. I would rather hear an interview with the old man than watch air again. Maybe a two and a half. Oof. We're wait a second. Wait a second. What if, let me just throw it out there. Sorry for interrupting, guys. What if the old man interviews Michael Jordan? Can we make that happen? Can we make that happen? I I, I, I don't think so. Well, let me talk to my connections, okay?
3: Sure. If you could get Michael Jordan on to talk with you, we will absolutely air it.
2: What if I just get a guy who's named Michael Jordan?
3: No, 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 no. We would need actually either Michael Jeffrey Jordan, right? Or yeah. Michael B. Jordan. Th- those would be the two acceptable Michael Jordans that we would accept.
2: Okay. All right. I'll see what I can do. I think I know one of them.
3: Yeah. Oh, okay.
2: There it goes there he goes. Well, we'll see. We'll see what he could do. But thanks for your your email, John.
3: Yeah, no, that's uh, that two and a half. Oof. Um no, I, I, for me personally, like, well, as a kid who grew up in the 80s, right? Like, mm. this was, like, prime, right? Everybody wanted Air Jordans. Um, like, although I, I do remember, except for the basketball nerds, nobody knew at first, mm. right? It wasn't until, I think it was the Jordan 2s when they came out, um, when they had the new logo on them, right? With the, Yeah, with, with the,
2: the, the silhouette, yeah.
3: Yeah, um, that's, I th- like, that's when I remember people kind of really jumping on the shoe at that point right which was I think it was about uh it's like mid to late 85 or something like that or 86 mm, yeah. um somewhere in that that phase and I just remember that's when everybody got like really pumped for it but um yeah they they were cool looking shoes back in the day yeah right yeah they broke the rules which you talk about in a bit a bit in the movie, you know the the infamous NBA rule about uh, you know you couldn't have more than uh, whatever it is. I think it was
2: had to be white and one color and had to be sixty five percent white.
3: Yeah, um, but the you know the predominant is and that actually translated into a lot of sports for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, football still kind of does that a little bit, which is a bit asinine. But anyways, uh, no, like it was it was a super popular shoe. So like this story was very very interesting to me. I've also actually. Uh, a few years ago, listened to a podcast that talked about this mm-hmm. exact story about how, uh, but it was actually, sorry, it was reframed more as Nike versus Adidas, but this is a huge portion of it. This whole side yeah, of Michael Jordan. Well, yeah, obviously... that's, it
2: would turn the tide for Nike. Totally.
3: Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, you're talking about a movie, a movie about, uh, about an event in which a guy came out of nowhere and, and a lot of, you know, they, they talk briefly about it in the movie, but it's, it's, they don't, give it like a ton of time is that uh if it wasn't for this deal and this player the nba would be at best a fourth ranked team uh, or sorry sport. for I
2: mean? sport there you go yeah
3: because it was it was tape delay they, they talked briefly about that like nobody cared about the nba back then
2: mm-hmm.
3: and it's because of jordan right and that's why like some of the lines in this movie like viola davis says as his mom are very very key very super important um and I think it was smart that they never show Jordan in this film.
2: Yeah. No, I, th- I thought like that as was... an
3: actor, like with right. an actor yeah, in the yeah, role.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was an actor standing there. He just never yes. showed his face. Yeah, no. They never actually had scenes focusing on Jordan. Yes. Yeah. Because no,
3: um, that would have been rough.
2: That would have been rough. Totally. Um, I will say the one thing I will say about it is this film is really about interpersonal relationships with people within a company. And oh, yeah. people believing within one another, and I have to say, now finding out about the improvisation in this film, I never thought that I'd say, you know, who has great chemistry on camera? Chris Tucker and Matt Damon. Right. Their scenes were like you felt like these guys have been longtime friends, yeah, and that they respect each other and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, and they're not like the longest scenes, but you feel it, and yeah, to find out that. They were improvised scenes, man. Yeah, Chris Chris Tucker really brought in this film. I thought he was fantastic in it. Yeah, because and- you
3: look at look at to your point, that scene where they're in the cafeteria and they're across the table and, and he and he's telling Sonny like, you know, like he believes in him and everything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I was like, but this is a really good scene. But and to learn that it was all improv, like Yeah,
2: that that was super surprising. Also, um, I think if Affleck is going to whether he's directing the films or not, he should appear in films in jumpsuits with that hair going forward cuz oh my
3: god that hair yeah. his character his version of Phil Knight is uh is something
2: yeah yeah very much a uh, running guru uh spouting off uh different uh, freaking uh, ancient uh ancient proverbs and things like that yeah it was you know what I, it
3: reminded me it made me think of it, it, a lot of the uh, uh stuff that we hear in, in some comedies of course about uh the tech guys all the yeah. you know, all the tech billionaires like how it's yeah. just aphorisms and, and 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 slogans and like this weird shit
2: Yeah, no, totally so um okay so now we gotta decide people should uh Watch in theaters, wait for rental streaming or skip it all together. So Green, I want to hear from you, but remember why you are telling me, please focus on your breath. When you breathe in, breathe in. When you breathe out, breathe out.
3: Breathing in. Focus on breathing in. Breathing out. Focus on breathing out. Yes. Uh no, I I really like this film. Now is this a go see it in theaters film? I think if you're like super into Nike, uh super into, you know, the history of of the shoe, like the Air Jordans, Jordan himself, like, well, not so much Jordan himself because there's not a lot going on there. But, you know, like all of this for this time period, I think, yeah, I think like if you're a sneakerhead, absolutely, you should see this film. The rest of the people, I think, I think streaming is probably good enough because uh, it's not like a big screen spectacle. It's not like last week's with Dungeons and Dragons or something like that, where it's like being seen on the big screen is very, very important. Um, but I, I definitely think if you have any interest, you should check it out. Cause I, unlike some of our listeners tonight, I had a lot of fun with this film.
2: These are the types of films I really enjoy seeing in theaters. So I'm going to tell you, go see that in theater. Cause I want to see more films like this, make it to a theater. So please go see it in theaters.
3: That is fair. A lot of good character drama going on with a lot of great performances.
2: Yeah. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, you're going to get to hear my interview with Kira Elise Gardner. It's all happening right here. Geek Card Radio 101. Mmm. Want to advertise on Geekard and be heard by thousands of listeners? It's easy, it's simple, it's fun. Email us at GeekardShow at gmail.com for information on our advertising packages today.
1: Welcome back to Geek Card right here on Reality Radio 101. And now back to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green.
2: Welcome back to Geek Card, Andrew Young and Mr. Green here on Good Friday. Um,. We're gonna get right into our final interview of the evening. Uh, Last year at the Toronto After Art Film Festival, I got to see a documentary called Living with Chucky, which was from uh, Kira Elise Gardner, who's the daughter of Tony Gardner, one of the uh, puppeteers involved in the Chucky franchise. Uh, He started working on, I believe it was, the first film he worked on was uh, Bride of Chucky, moving forward. And she did a complete comprehensive documentary on the entire franchise from child's play to present. And uh, it is now available on screen box and uh, some digital platforms. I got a chance to talk with Kira last week about the film. Let's take a listen to that right now. Welcome to the program, Kira, Elise Gardner.
4: <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs>
2: well, thank you for coming on. Uh, I got to see Life with Chucky back at... Uh, the Toronto After Dark Film Festival. Really enjoyed it there. Awesome! I love that festival. Yeah, it's a great fest. This came out of you originally doing the short Dollhouse, and you know it's you know your exploration uh, on the Chucky universe, coming going in to see your father's other family, and so so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, and Life with Chucky was a further exploration on a much larger scale, and in the short. You're front and center, but in life with Chuck Lee, you wait until the final third of the film to reveal your connection to the subject. What was the decision behind the framing so differently for the show, this uh, feature?
4: I started my edit with putting myself at the front again, like the the dollhouse. But when I made the decision to do a retrospect as well within the documentary and go through the films chronologically, because that made the most sense it felt very odd in the cutting room floor because I introduced myself of having a connection to the films but then like my dad didn't come on till seat of Chucky so then it was like a whole 45 minutes to where I was kind of brought back in and it felt very out of place like like we had forgotten this thing anyhow and then it was the opportunity to bring myself in with Seed of Chucky, but I felt like it take it took away from my dad's entry into the franchise as well. Like I wanted him coming in to be about his experience and and things like that. So I thought a lot of do, I, I feel like a lot of documentaries kind of um can lull in their third acts uh, anyhow, and it kind of just goes this way where I was like well if it's a act break maybe it'll keep people interested that was kind of the thinking there in terms of that it was it was weird I wish I would have had like more time to play around and edit it but I had already spent so long on it because I just edited this myself over COVID (laughs) and also I, I wasn't going in realizing that I was kind of like a one woman show in a sense, doing all the marketing myself until I had a lovely like publicist and things like that. It was just all myself doing the work. So I didn't realize that in trying to promote it, of course, you know, who's making the documentary because I was trying to like build hype for it. And so I was like, this is less of a twist and just kind of like, <laughs> uh, in retrospect, but, uh, it at least is breaking a. a a wall, which is fun. But yeah, it just felt like it was too long in between from where I was coming in in the beginning. And then it kind of took away this thing with my dad by breaking the fourth wall there. And I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted my dad to have a section where it was truly about his work.
2: Right. And as you said, going out there and promoting it and sh- showing this film that you've kind of become the face of the film anyways, as a director usually is when going out to festivals. So
4: yeah. Lesson learned in my (laughs) first feature is like, also I wanted to recreate the child's play two poster. And so like literally half my face is on the poster. Anyhow. There
2: you go. There you go. Now when putting the film together, like obviously you realized, you know, going in with the familial connection that, you know, of course family would play a part in, but did you realize how much of a celebration of family this film would become?
4: No, I had no idea. Cause you, I, I went in with all my questions and knowing I wanted to like focus it on the family aspect and not just ask retrospective questions the entire time, but you never know the answers you're going to get. I was just like, please Dear Lord, people have similar answers to each other. And they all did. Everything that my dad had described the Chucky family to be, they were. And um, in the editing room floor, it gave me a lot to work with.
2: Yeah. And it's kind of like it being a franchise. Because, of course, they talk about how in films, you know, every time you're making a film that on a good set, everybody does become like a family. And then they never get to see each other again after that. But with because of this being a franchise element, you you really got to explore the fact that they've gotten to have family reunions in a sense on such a regular basis. That is it's a very cool aspect of the film.
4: Oh, thank you. Yeah.
2: yeah. Now, very
4: weird.
2: Yeah, it is weird because you don't you don't even think about that. And yeah, it kind of pops up like that, how it's been everybody the same way along. Now, you did some interesting story framing for the film. I mean, of course, you know, you did the making of the doll throughout the film, but then you also used VHS tapes and DVDs to separate the chapters of the films. What made you decide on these two elements to frame your movie?
4: First of all, the documentary mode that I have is to- is obviously talking heads. To I- Also, I had no money to make this movie. So there's, there's no way I was going to go back and try and recreate footage of being on the set of Child's Play 1 and 2 or things like that. Go to Chicago and film all this stuff over there. There was no way that that was... Going to happen. That would be a dream. So I knew I needed like visual breathers for everybody Mm. to just like take a second and process what they just heard and get excited for whatever else was to come. And the moment that I decided to make it chronological in the first half of a retrospect, it just made sense. I was actually watching the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix at the time. And their intro, like title sequence, is really beautifully cut together. I think it was like nominated for an Emmy. It was so good. And they had a lot of these shots of a tape recorder. And I realized that I needed something to visually show how long this has gone on. So I thought about VHSs going to DVDs and then to Blu-rays was a way to do that and a way to visually break it up. And then as far as the doll being built... It honestly was inspired by fans coming into my DMs all the time asking if my dad could make them a Chucky doll. (laughs) (laughs) The answer is always no, this doll is very expensive. I love that you love this doll so much. But no, it's uh, very expensive just to make his costume. And so that's kind of where that idea came about. Was it just like there's so much that goes into making the doll before he even gets to set before the, even the animatronics come in. And so I had obviously because my dad's shop is the one that coordinates all of that. I had the opportunity to like go in and film the woman, Annie Edwards in Utah who line by line puts together a Chucky sweater on a loom. That's great. Nobody's doing that these days. Like I really just wanted to showcase how many people, go into just making the doll for like fans to have a bigger understanding and also appreciation of what goes into it.
2: No, no, totally. Yeah. Cause it's a lot of work put into it. But the thing you said earlier about how you wouldn't be able to recreate scenes on a shoestring budget, but now I'm picturing in my head, what if you did like a hand puppet sort of thing in between the thing? <laughs> I think that would have been great. Yeah. Hand
4: yeah. Maybe animation. <laughs> It's director's cut, I'll add that in there.
2: There you go. There you go. You don't only talk to those involved in the Chucky franchise in this film. You know, there's also other names in horror film and television that you talk to. How did you go about deciding who you were going to talk to, who you reached out to for kind of like the more horror and television framing of the story?
4: Yeah, that was a suggestion by a producer friend of mine was to get some outside perspective of people still in the genre to some capacity To kind of break it up as well, uh, which I thought was interesting. And then obviously I still didn't have a budget. So I wasn't, I couldn't pay anybody. So it was like, whoever was there, whoever was in front of that camera was nice enough to set aside like two hours of their day or Marlon Wayne's. I literally only had 15 minutes with because that man is so busy. Oh, yeah. So that was insane. But, uh, it was who I had access to. Like, uh, Abigail Breslin and I became friends on Zombieland 2. I was visiting on set with my dad when I was in college and we became friends. Lynn Shea is a good friend with my dad and I knew her. And obviously I love Insidious and she's in Nightmare on Elm Street. So it made so much sense to get Lynn. And then Dan Meyer and I actually connected through TikTok. And coincidentally, he like met my parents in college and they were already friends. I had no idea. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so it was actually it was really cool. So it was just kind of finding like who had a bit of a connection like Abby's also a Chucky fan. She collects baby doll heads. She's she was a kid actor. She's in Scream Queens. And then Marlon Wayne's like, you have to know enough about horror in order to spoof it. So it, and Dan Popmeyer's a voice actor. I really wanted another voice actor to kind of come in and comment on that. Who was also a parent was important so that they could speak to that. So that was kind of like the decision making of what I had access to.
2: (laughs) Wow. Well, you know, you bring up the Marlon Wayans only having 15 minutes because he's so busy. And it's kind of funny that in the movie, he ends up talking about how he's so busy. (laughs) It's like,
4: yeah, yeah. (laughs) he's not, he's not lying. We literally, I went to his house and it was like 15 minutes he had in between doing like a life cast for a movie that he was doing or TV show. And then like having to go because he was on a comedy tour at the time.
2: Oh my God. That's crazy. Well, it's, he's great in the film. So that was definitely a, a great get for you. Now there's a lot of talk about how horror fans are very welcoming and nonviolent, really connected to the genre in the movie. And it's kind of like Underlined said there that, you know, horror fans, they get like a level of comfort from horror films that it's like, that's their comfort food. What is it about horror that you think evokes that feeling in them?
4: I think horror is the genre where you get to see whatever impulsive thoughts you have that are definitely illegal and not moral in the real world come to fruition. Or like if you were slighted or there was an injustice, you know, you do think like, what if I could just not, I don't think this. Yeah, yeah. you do have those those thoughts were human. Um, And so you get to see it played out on on a screen in an actual story. And a lot of the times, though, horror films are centered around so many relatable things like a lot of horror films, especially back in the day, are talking about like LGBTQ themes and vampires and things like that everything is symbolic of stuff that is very set in the real world so it's almost like escapism but like dark escapism because people are dying or whatever but a lot of the times you you get to see like the underdog so to speak come up out on top of this like crazy scenario and you you like root for it it's also I feel like people just enjoy being scared too there's like obviously a thrill and that where I don't think you're going to get scared much in your daily life.
2: Yeah. And earlier with like when you, at the start of that, it kind of also sounds like there's a bit of a catharsis in watching this source of, cause you know, it's fantasy, but you can still release that kind of tension.
4: Exactly. It's like almost like working out, but like for your brain. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. Now in the film, it's mentioned by your mother, how you were frightened as a child by Chucky. Uh, the the bad people are here and you ran to your room what point in your life did you stop fearing chucky and you know embrace chucky so to speak
4: i think around like 7 or 8 it was like okay cuz he would always be out during halloween like as a as a halloween decoration him and right. tiffany but I watched Seed when I was around eight and that set me back a bit because I didn't know my dad was in that movie. So I legitimately thought my dad died that day because um, I, I was so
2: confused. Was he um, not home that day? Was that like you watched it with him not being there? Is
4: that- <laughs> I went I snuck it to a friend's birthday party.
2: Oh, OK.
4: So I was that kid who had to call my parents to pick me up and go home. Oh, jeez. No. that day because I was so convinced that he had died. So once after that, and I was more of like my dad setting me aside and being like, everything's fake, like this and that. And so after that, it was like, okay, this is just a part of my life that this doll's just here
2: again. It sounds like a a really fun life for you and your family, (laughs) definitely. And uh, I really look forward to more people getting to see this film. Really enjoyed it. And uh, like, as I mentioned, it is a celebration of family. Like it's talking about a murderous doll, but it really is a celebration of family in the end. And I really, I commend you for finding that story out of this. It's fantastic.
1: Oh,
4: thank you so much.
2: All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for talking with us. I look forward to what other films you got coming on the pipe. If you got more documentaries coming, can't wait to see them. Oh, thank you. So that was my interview with Kira Elise Gardner. The film Living with Chucky is available On Amazon, Apple, Google Play, Voodoo, Hoopla, Xbox, and Screambox right now to check out. Mr. Green, we've come to the end of the program.
3: Yes, we have.
2: Yes, we have indeed. So why don't you tell the good folks where they can find us.
3: As always, if you like what we do here, you can find additional content over at patreon.com slash card For everybody who does that right now, you guys are amazing. Thanks. For everybody who doesn't right now, you guys are super cool. Not you know, as cool as them, though. You're not You're not amazing, but you're super cool. would be cool if you came over and, and became amazing. That would be awesome, too. Uh, additional content is always available through YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. Just search Geek Card Show on any of those platforms, and you'll find us there. Of course, check out our website, geekcardshow.com, for more news, reviews, and the podcast version of this very show. Available on Mondays after 2 p.m., but if you're super forgetful like I am and you didn't listen to us live like you did tonight, the best way to hear us is to do what, Andrew?
2: Is to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, be it the iTunes, the Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Spotify, wherever you catch your pods. And while you're there, leave a five-star rating and review.
3: Absolutely. Or if you want to continue the conversation with us, you can always email us at geekcardshow at gmail.com.
2: I want to thank our guests tonight, Natalie Brown and Kira Elise Gardner for Natalie Brown, for Hudson Rex, for the Canadian Screen Awards, for Air, for Michael Jordan, for Kira Elise Gardner, for Living with Chucky, for the Chucky franchise, for Mr. Green, and for Yuri in the Booth. This is Andrew Young saying, if you're going to geek out, you might as well geek hard on Reality Radio
1: 101. Thank you for listening to Key Card with your hosts, Andrew Young and Mr. Green, right here on Reality Radio 101.